Well, it is exciting to be here with all of you. Can you all hear me okay? Uh, I've been coming to, I was here the first week, uh, Clearwater Everhead Church, and I've been here probably every four to six months since. And every time I come, it's more obvious uh, that God is at work, as Isaac said. So it's just a real pleasure. I've never actually been up here speaking. It's always been far more relaxed to be here than that. But I'm going to enjoy this, and uh, hopefully God's got something. Actually, I know he's got something for all of us today. Uh, I want to start, actually, by just clarifying something that's probably important to clarify. I've been told by several of you that Mike, uh, I guess last time you got together, told you that I was going to be here and said, hey, if you uh, want to just kind of pretend it's me, close your eyes, because my brother sounds just like me. Uh, here's the clarification that's important. I am the older brother. <laughs> Mike looks and sounds like me. Okay, just just wanted to get that out there and clarify that. I also want to just brag on Mike a minute since you've set a precedent, Chris. Uh, I remember Mike as an eighth grade. He was the third. I'm the oldest. Mike's number three of four brothers. Uh, Mike's, you know, Mike was Mike. And uh, you're seeing old, mature Mike. Imagine Mike as an eighth grader. He's uh, quick to uh, make... Uh, big statements, never been shy of hanging it out there. And so we kind of always had to ratchet down anything Mike said, you know, kind of apply the Mike discount factor. And uh, Mike goes off to a missions trip in Mexico. I think he was actually the first of any of us to do a foreign missions trip. Comes back and makes a big Mike statement, God's called me to be a preacher. So we apply the massive Mike discount factor and, you know, we never made fun of him for that, but we kind of had some fun with Mike at eighth grade being so convinced and confident God's called him to be a preacher. But I'll tell you this about Mike. He has been absolutely convinced of his calling from, from that day till now. Uh, never wavered. Um, you know, went to, went, got his degree at Harvard. You know, lots of other opportunities opened up in front of Mike that he could have gone and done, but he has never questioned God's call on his life often wondered what that would mean. Uh, certainly planting Clearwater was uh, something he wrestled with for a couple of years, he and Sabrina. But as an older brother, uh, watching through older brother filter, a younger brother from a young boy to now, Mike, your pastor is an extraordinary man and uh, couldn't be more excited by the way God's blessing him and uh, hope that you guys... Uh, get the pleasure of watching all that God's going to do in Mike and through Mike to all of our benefit in the years ahead. So I wouldn't want to miss an opportunity, my first time preaching here, to brag on a younger brother. Well, uh, it's, it's the first Sunday in the new year, which means it's New Year's resolution time. Okay, how many of you have a New Year's resolution? All four of us. Okay, so here is the objective for today. We will all leave today with not one, not two, but three resolutions, all right? So wake up, pay attention. We're going to be waiting into... And I got to tell you, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with New Year's resolutions. And I tend to love them because who wouldn't, who wouldn't be excited about the fact that every 365 days, we get a fresh shot? Come on, I mean, who else needs a fresh shot at least every 365 days? How cool is that? No matter how bad last year was or even good, this year can be better. Fresh shot. So I love New Year's resolutions for that fact, but I kind of hate them because my aspirations are always a little, 
perhaps ahead of what's reality. Anybody else have that problem? You kind of set these aspirations at the start of a new year. I have a long litany of stories I could tell of New Year's resolutions that were here, reality that was here, sometimes a pretty big epic fail, one that comes to mind a few years ago. Uh, remember when the Atkins diet was all the thing? Not that long ago, right? I, could, I was thinking that year, you know, I could stand to lose 10 pounds. I've never dieted, but this Atkins diet, if there's ever been a diet out there that I could do, this would, because this is, this is a diet about meat, Right? We don't need no stinking carbs. And I, and I love meat. So I'm like, I can do, I can do this. And they, everybody said, you will shed that first 10 pounds faster than you can believe. So I thought, okay, 30 days. That's all I'm going to need. I'm going to go carb-free for 30 days. It's going to be 30 days of meat. So first day, January 1st. And actually, in the Christmas season, I got kind of excited because I'm in there shopping at Fred Meyer or whatever. And I'm thinking, i got to buy for January. So I am buying the best cuts of meat. And I had my freezer stacked with filet mignon. Uh, I think I even had Alaskan king crab in there. Lots and lots of bacon, right? That first day, January 1st, I get up and I cook up a huge mess of, mess of bacon. My wife, Ruth, she believes it was two full pounds. I don't, I guess that's often the size you buy them, right? Anyway, I don't remember how much it was. It was just a lot of bacon. And I thought I'd feel better than I did. You know, I'm kind of midway through the day going, golly, that's a, that's a lot of bacon. I'll eat a, I'll eat a sausage. Uh, that night I ate some nice steak. And as I went to bed, I just like, man, I tell you, I, I thought I'd feel better. I love meat. Next day I switched to eggs. I think I had eight. And by noon the second day, I left work, came home and said, hon, you've got to take me to the doctor. I am, having, I am allergic to protein. Uh, I mean, I was, ha- I was having sh- cold chills. It was the weirdest thing. Uh, that particular New Year's resolution lasted less than 48 hours. Uh, and they, you know, I have many others like that. So if you're like me, you might have a love-hate relationship with New Year's resolutions. But today I'm going to give you some that I really do believe will make a difference in our lives. Here's the big idea for today. The big idea is that the, new, the resolutions that are going to most benefit us in life are the, re- are the spiritual resolutions, the spiritual resolutions that we make and keep. I don't believe there's really any growth as a follower of Christ without resolution. It takes commitment, uh, kind of that, that because we fight a war with our, with our flesh, with the, with, the, with the world, with the devil. Uh, without resolution, we can't grow as a follower of Christ. And so resolutions are critical, and it's the spiritual resolutions that we make and keep that ultimately bring us the most benefit. Well, I'm going to be in the, in the Gospel of John today, the fifth chapter at the end. And I want to set the context for this passage of Scripture before we dive into it. What's going on here is Jesus has just done one of his more dramatic uh, miracles. He's healed a man who's been a cripple all his life. And he did it, although he kind of snuck in and did it surreptitiously, it was done in a hugely public arena, right in the temple, right in Jerusalem. And this guy was known, and it didn't take long for the word of this miracle and the fact that Jesus did it to quickly spread throughout the capital there. And Jesus already kind of had rock star status there in Jerusalem and really throughout the nation of Israel. And his rock star status kind of took even another step north. And this really bothered, it probably uh, not only angered, but I think it worried the religious leaders. So they 
they attacked Jesus for this, and their attack is as follows. They said, hey, you healed this guy on the Sabbath. How can you claim to be a, a religious leader? Because really the only leaders that the Jews ever looked to were religious leaders. The secular leaders put in place by Rome, uh, not somebody that the Jews ever gave any credibility to. You had to be a religious leader. So they're saying, Jesus, how can you claim to be a religious leader when your miracles, this miracle you've done, breaks uh, one of our religious rules of doing work on the Sabbath. And Jesus' answer is very interesting. His defense for his healing on the Sabbath was this. He said, God, my Father, is always working. And I always work as well. The Jews, it says in, I think it's verse 18 of chapter 5, it says, the Jews, therefore, the Jewish leadership, therefore, uh, committed all the more to kill Jesus because he equated himself with God the Father. So that's the context. And Jesus then, knowing what they're thinking, he, he gives a kind of a big speech to the religious leadership. It's one of the most direct, forceful uh, speeches he ever gives to them. Uh, and we're going to pick it up in the second half of that speech. Starting in verse 31, Jesus says to the religious leadership, who's seeking to kill him. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to him, to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, that is John, was a burning and shining lamp, And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Essentially, what Jesus is saying to the religious leaders here is, look, guys, you have more than enough evidence to accept me for who I say I am. You've got more than enough evidence. The, uh, John the Baptist testified about me, and it was such a powerful testimony, so obviously from God, that for a while you were like, wow, we've got to listen to this man. John the Baptist testified about me. My miracles testify about me. The very scriptures that you've devoted your entire lives to studying, to memorizing, testify about me. You have more than enough evidence to accept me for who I claim to be. The reason you don't, Jesus said, 
is because you actively choose not to. You refuse to come to me. It's a matter of choice. It's a matter of resolution. I see three principles in Jesus' words here that can and should and really must be New Year's resolutions for us as followers of Christ. But I think calling them New Year's resolutions is probably selling them a little bit short because these transcend any one year. I think it's perhaps more accurate to call them new life resolutions. New life resolutions. Why? Because any time we resolve to apply Jesus' words to our lives, we experience a new life resolution. No spiritual growth without new life resolutions. I want to point out also that Jesus' attitude towards his, his uh, enemies here was tr- is truly convicting to me. You notice how Jesus continually, he doesn't condemn them. What's Jesus doing? He's offering them life. You ever notice how often Jesus speaks to life, right? No man could find life except through me, eternal life. This word life is something Jesus speaks to all the time. Jesus made a point throughout his entire ministry of continually saying to everyone who'd listen, and here he says it very pointedly to his enemies, I have come to bring you life, the joy-filled, abundant life that's found in following me. The only reason you won't experience it is if you actively choose to refuse my life. So let's go and let's unpack these new life resolutions. Here's how I've captured the first one that I see here today. And I'm going to capture all three of them kind of in the personal sense, so it applies to all of us. They're going to start with the two words, I resolve. First new life resolution, I resolve to encounter Jesus in his word. I resolve to encounter Jesus in his word. You know, Jesus makes it clear that the biggest problems these the biggest problem these religious leaders faced is that they were in the scriptures but didn't find Jesus in the scriptures. What a tragedy. You search the scriptures Jesus said thinking that in them you have eternal life. They testify about me. You're in the scriptures, you're missing me. How often do we fail to encounter Jesus in his word? As I thought on that this last week, I thought, you know, I, I fail to encounter Jesus in, the, in his word all the time. Now, the religious leaders, I think the primary way they were failing to encounter Jesus in his word is they confuse studying with encountering. You know, those are two very different things. I know sometimes I've done that, been studying the scriptures and not actually kind of letting the scriptures speak to me, not, not encountering Jesus there. But there are other ways we can fail to encounter Jesus in his word. One of the ways is we just don't get in his word. Right? We just get busy. Life is busy. We don't, we don't get in Jesus' word. I kind of wonder how many of us, if we were honest, look back over the Christmas holidays and say, when's the last time in the Christmas holidays I spent an hour in the word? 30 minutes. When's the last time I spent five minutes? We can get awfully busy. We can fail to encounter Jesus in his word because we're not in his word. Another way we can fail to encounter Jesus in his word is if we Don't grow in our knowledge of his word. The Bible often speaks to growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I know lots of followers of Jesus who maybe they're even in the scriptures quite regularly, but they aren't aren't growing in knowledge. They're back in the same scriptures. They're staying at a surface level. So we're asking ourselves the question, when's the last time 
we really learn something kind of deep and new out of scriptures. When's the last time we wrestled with a challenging biblical topic? You know, the Bible has a number of topics it raises that can be answered different ways, that Christians answer different ways. They are worthy of wrestling with. That's how you, one of the ways we encounter God in his word, and we can fail to encounter him if we're not growing in our knowledge of scripture. You know, another way I think it's quite often, and especially in our culture here, that we fail to encounter Jesus in his word is we, we can get awfully satisfied with the other ways that we encounter Jesus and not really feel the need to encounter him in, in his word, right? Because we, we, we encounter God in multiple ways, certainly through prayer, right? Encounter God through prayer, uh, through other people. Thank God for that one. I mean, one of the most profound ways we encounter Jesus is through the people that, that he sends to encourage us or to challenge us, right? So prayer and people, circumstances, we encounter God in the circumstances of our lives. If we're attentive, we'll, we'll see all sorts of ways in the, in the fabric of our lives that God is, God is meeting us there. So prayer and people and circumstances. Uh, as, as Alaskans, we certainly know we can encounter God through nature, through his creation. Bible speaks to that, and we probably, of all Americans, ought to be encountering God through his nature. We encounter God all these other ways, and we can get fully satisfied with those and neglect to encounter Jesus in his word. The problem is, encountering Jesus in his word is meant to be the foundation for how we encounter him, right? These other avenues of encounter uh, are going to be thin if we're not encountering in his word at kind of a foundational level. Sometimes these other ways of encountering him can actually end up taking us kind of off, off base uh, if we don't stay in his word. I mean, how often have churches led by a charismatic leader perhaps kind of been, gotten off on a, on a wrong path because they're not staying grounded to scripture? We must be encountering, if 2016 is going to be the best year ever for, for you and for me, we have got to be encountering Jesus in his word. You with me? All right. Number two, New Year's new life, resolution number two. I resolve to embrace Christ's will for my life. I resolve to embrace Christ's will for my life. You know, Jesus cut to the heart of the issue here with these religious leaders when he said it wasn't lack of evidence that was preventing them from coming to him. It was an active choice. You refuse to come to me, Jesus said. Now, here's the thing. 2,000 years later, each and every one of us, every day we wake up, faces that same choice. We will either embrace Christ's will for our lives, or we're going to resist Christ's will for our lives. That's a daily choice we all face. Now, for the, in a room this big, I guarantee you, somebody here has not yet chosen to follow Jesus. You know, you're still wrestling with what you think of all this. Perhaps you've even been in church for years. Perhaps you came... Uh, Christmas Eve, and that was the first time you've been in church for a long time. I don't know, but in a room this big, I know there's somebody here who has, you're still wrestling with what you, what are you going to do with the claims that Jesus made, that he's truly the son of God, that he is the only path to the father, that no, you cannot find life, eternal life, but through him. If you're still wrestling that with that question, I want you to know something. You're in the perfect place. Perfect place, because every one of the rest of us who've resolved that question, we've been where you are, right, folks? We've been right where you are. Our prayer is that 2016 
certainly becomes the best year of your life for you because you come to know and follow Jesus Christ and step into the abundant life that he promises. That's our prayer for anybody who hasn't yet come to Jesus. But for all of us who have come to Jesus, we still wake up every day with this fresh question. Are we going to embrace Christ's will for our lives? Or are we going to resist it today? You know, it's easy to look down our noses at these religious leaders. I mean, kind of read the passage or the whole book of John, and you're thinking, these guys were a bunch of idiots. I mean, what would it take? What would it take? They've got the apostle, or they got John the Baptist there. Uh, they heard him. They had Jesus. They knew him personally. They saw his miracles. They knew the scriptures way better than any of us do. They'd memorized large sections. Some of them practically memorized the entire Old Testament. How in the world did they miss this? It's easy to look down our, our noses at these folks, but here's the point. How often do I refuse to follow Jesus into life? How often do you refuse to embrace Christ's will, his specific will, that, he, that you kind of have this sense he's calling you to? The truth is we, we shouldn't look down our nose at the religious leaders because we step into some of the same mistakes they do and for those of us who know Jesus we have the Holy Spirit in our lives right we have less a lot less excuse than they certainly do I know that some of you here often feel defeated spiritually I know that because I can feel that way you know you, you kind of if you think about your spiritual life it doesn't take much thinking about it before you just kind of don't want to think about it because you just start feeling defeated you've had you've had resolutions that you've made and there've been epic fails a lot worse than trying the Atkins diet right if you're here today and you're at all feeling discouraged spiritually i want to give you an insight that i certainly have found to be super powerful in my life that i've had to relearn over, over and over again. Here's the insight I want to encourage you with. 95% of the power to follow Jesus into life, 95% of the power to follow him into life, it's found in that last 5% of surrender. Now that may not seem encouraging right off the bat, but, here's, but it is. I want to spend a minute on this. You know, and I wouldn't design things this way if I were running things. I, I'd rather it was a more linear one-to-one -one relationship, right? Because how cool would it be to give God majority control of my life, surrender 51%, and get majority power, get, get power for the majority of my life, spiritual power. You know, I could control 49%, but still kind of get, you know, the majority benefit of God's power in my life for victorious living. In fact, I would do a lot better than that. I'd give God more like, you know, I'd give God 80%. I'd just keep 20. Because then, I mean, 80% of God's power for victorious spiritual living? How awesome. I mean, that seems like it'd be enough, right? And I just make sure the 20% I keep control of is the 20% I really want to keep control of. But that's not the way it works. It's not a one-to-one -one linear relationship of surrender and appropriating the power of God you know, the scripture says we possess everything. As followers of Jesus, we possess, possess everything we need for life and for godliness. Everything, I don't remember the exact reference, but it does say that, I promise. So if we possess everything we need, why is it so often that I don't feel like I've got everything I need for life and godliness? And I've come to realize that the scripture teaches 
that in order to appropriate everything I need for life and godliness, I've got I've to be in 100%. Because, because the vast majority of the Holy Spirit power for victorious Christian living comes as we surrender it all. Jesus says in Matthew 16, I think it is, that in order to gain his life, what do we have to do with ours? Lose it. In order to gain his life, we have to lose our own. 95% of the power to follow Jesus into life is found in that last 5% of surrender. If we're hedging on that, and usually at any time in my life, I can kind of quickly say, yep, that's the area, or those are the two areas I know deep down inside I'm kind of hedging on. I'm trying to retain some degree of control. I'm resisting surrender. I am resisting, refusing Christ's will in that area. And maybe it's only a small percentage of my life, but I'm telling you what, if, if it's there, most of the power for victorious Christian living doesn't seem to be available to me. Anybody else ever experienced that? Yeah, it's in that last 5% of surrender. So we're back to this question. Are we going to daily embrace Christ's will for our lives as followers or resist it? That becomes very personal. And that looks very, it looks unique for every one of us, right? I don't know what that looks like for your life in 2016, but if you interact with the Lord about it, it'll become clear. I mean, I see some teenagers here today. I've got four of them I'm raising myself, Chris mentioned. I, I'm the oldest of four brothers. Now I have four sons. My mom's prayers have been answered. I now have to live the life that she once prayed. I, God, I, I was thinking about my sons. You know, that being a teenager is a, is a multiple times a day wrestling with this question. Of, am I going to embrace God's will for my life or resist it? Right? Because as a teenager... It's in your face. Your parents are constantly asking things of you. You know, your friends are often trying to take you places you shouldn't go. So teenagers here today, this is very real for you. It's a daily question of are you going to embrace Christ's will? If you do, it probably is going to mean some changes in your relationships with your parents and with your friends and so on and so forth. And one of the things I, like, I love about coming here is there's a, lot of, there's a lot of younger people here. I used to be one of the younger people, not so much anymore. I like to hang around with younger people because then I feel young until they make some comment that makes me realize how old I really am. But, you know, if you're 20-something here, this is, you know, this can be, this can and should, this question, this resolution can and should be very personal. What does it mean as a 20-something to embrace Christ's will for your life in 2016? Probably also has some implications for relationships, right? Friendships. You know, perhaps there's a boyfriend or girlfriend that you need to break up with. Or perhaps there's one you need to put a ring on a finger. I mean, maybe it's time for you. Maybe embracing Christ's will for your life as a 20-something means kind of ending this extended adolescence you've been in. Get out of the parents' basement, right? Then step up to some responsibility. I don't know what it means for you, but I, I guarantee you this. If you wrestle with this question and you, and you answer it in the way that brings life, 2016 will be the best year of your life yet. The last 95% of the power to follow Christ into life is in the last 5% of surrender. All right, who's ready for the final resolution? I resolve, actually, I'm going to back up. So this one, I was kind of in the text, you know, looking at things, and suddenly it dawned on me. I've been focused on how Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, right? That's clearly the audience in mind. But there's somebody else Jesus mentions in this passage that I didn't see at first. 
And then I realized, my goodness, not only does Jesus mention John the Baptist, he gives John the Baptist a pretty darn amazing compliment. He says, this guy was a bright and shining lamp whose who, was, who glowed so brightly that even you religious leaders said, wow, this guy's words are worth listening to. I mean, Jesus paid John the Baptist an amazing compliment. And if you read the Gospels, you realize Jesus didn't hand out compliments like Tic Tacs all the time. I mean, this was a big deal that Jesus, and I found myself thinking, man, wouldn't it be awesome if, if Jesus could pay me a compliment like he did John the Baptist? And I found myself wondering, what is it I'd have to do to get Jesus to pay me a compliment of the magnitude that he, that he gives John the Baptist here. And then I realized, all I need to do is the same thing that John the Baptist did. Testify about Jesus. That's the one thing John the Baptist did, which leads me to this third resolution. I resolve to boldly invite others to follow Jesus into life. I resolve to boldly invite others to follow Jesus into life. That resolution is not normal for evangelical American Christians, unfortunately. You know, all the statistics, all the surveys tell us this. They tell us that the vast majority of American Christians are not ever going to uh, invite a friend to church. They're not going to share their faith. They're not ever going to, very few of them will ever lead somebody to Christ. You know, that unfortunately does seem to be real across America. But I, I talk with Mike all the time. I've talked to him since before this church was formed for several years. And I talk with Chris a lot. You know, there, Mike's heart, Chris's heart, others of you that, like Isaac, who were here from the beginning, you know, you are committed as a church to not be the statistics, all right? You're committed not to be the statistics. Well, that's the same thing as this resolution because that commitment's one thing in general. We don't want to be a church. We want to be a church that shares Christ, that boldly invites others. But that has to be personal to each and every one of us. You know, what, what are we going to do in 2016 to boldly share Christ with people? What's that look like practically? I don't know what that means for you. But, but boldness implies a degree of courage right you had to kind of screw up your courage to be bold so whatever it looks like for each and every one of you it's going to require courage it's going to require risk it's going to require resolution but here's the thing as we boldly invite friends to come to church with us as we boldly take an opportunity that seems to be right there in front of us with a friend or a co-worker who's kind of sharing a problem in their life to say you know man when I up against things like that I I sure wouldn't want to go through that without God in my life and just see what the Lord might do with that conversation. As we do those sorts of things, you know, this room will keep filling and we'll get to watch God invade families. I mean, when we see families where one comes to Christ and another comes to Christ and the kids get start get ra- getting raised with biblical values as opposed to the world's values and we stick with a church and with, with a group of people, a community like this over one, two, five, ten years, then we have stories like Chris and I do of people we've watched come to the Lord and their whole families change their trajectory. And I'm telling you, there is nothing that is as awesome as that. To know you've had a personal role in watching God transform a life and through that life, other lives and families, it is the best. And a lot of what I 
enjoy most in my life as I'm now getting closer to 50 than 40 is to interact with people and know their backstory and know how they came to Christ and watch how God's grown them up. And here we have a young church family. God's assembling you here for a purpose. He's got great things in store. But, but his journey depends in a way that we don't really understand. And sometimes I think God is crazy for doing it this way. But his story depends on our stories. He's sovereign. He'll accomplish his will. And we kind of understand that. But at the other level, we either step into it or not. We will either be part of what God's doing or we'll miss out. And Jesus wants to usher us into life, abundant life. This is one of the keys. If if we want to experience the abundant life of Jesus fully in 2016, we have got to be resolved to boldly invite others to join us on that journey. As we do, oh man, oh man, it's going to be great.